Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I'm excited to have you here. I'm recording this on a Sunday night and I hope you are doing fantastic. I just have a couple things I want to mention before we jump into the uh, message. Two things, in fact, two specific things. Number one, we have had a ton of first-time visitors over the past couple weeks. If you're listening to this and you have just recently, um, you know, visited for the first time, thank you. It means like so much that you would just be interested in what we're doing and want to give us a shot and then add to it the fact that things are super weird with COVID stuff. Uh, Just know we're doing our best to keep everybody as safe as possible. We're still socially distancing. We're still requiring masks the entire service. Uh, So there's that. But I just want to from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for coming out to these services. It, it means everything. And uh, yeah, bring a friend, tell a friend. It's awesome. You guys rock. <laughs> Number two, you've probably heard us talk about this if you've been paying attention to social media uh, at all the past couple weeks. Basically, it's our reverse tithe. Anytime anyone donates to us, we immediately just take 10% of it and put it right back into the community. It's something that we're really proud of and it's going to be something that we always do and we've been saving up for a few months and we have three things that we donated to just recently number one is we gave a thousand dollars to sunshine city counseling we are going to be partnering with them on september 20th they're coming to our church service to do a mental health panel you can ask any questions about mental health you have they're going to talk about how important it is steps to take to make sure that you know you don't get fried or anything like that Um, but also they just do incredible work in our community and one of the things they like to do is service people who may not be able to afford um, mental health care and so we gave them a thousand dollars to go directly to those people so that we can help pay for uh, individuals who need help and they're not able to get it so we're really proud of that Uh, Hannah in particular is very big into discussing mental health issues and that's another thing that's always going to be a part of the DNA of our church. And so uh, we think Sunshine City Counseling is awesome and we're super proud to be giving to them. Number two, our friends Dave and Heather just opened up their uh, theater and creative space right around the corner from us. It's called the Mars St. Pete. If you're listening and you need a space to do anything, classes, concerts, uh, master classes, lessons, Wrestling. I don't know if you can wrestle there, <laughs> but you can do just about anything there. Check them out. They also run a nonprofit called Project Mar, and that nonprofit helps out musicians who are out of work. So we gave $500 to that nonprofit, and it's going to go right back into people's pockets who need it. It's going to pay for groceries. Uh, we're really pumped to do that. We, we love to be big supporters of the arts. Last but not least, we are giving away uh, $100 gift cards, uh, five of them to teachers and we had a social media post blow up we had like a hundred tags or something basically all you need to do is tag yourself if you're a teacher or a friend nominate a teacher friend on uh, this particular post on our facebook page this week we'll put up a few more posts and you can tag yourself there and basically it gets you an entry to a drawing to win one of these gift cards because we think teachers are the coolest and it probably kind of stinks to be a teacher right now in a lot of ways and we just want to put a little light in their life 
and let them know that they're appreciated. So go to our Facebook page and nominate your favorite teacher to win a hundred bucks. Okay, that's it. Hannah does a really good job with the rest of the announcements. And so here is Hannah. And this episode is going to be called Love Actually, even though it's not Christmas. It's my wife and I's favorite Christmas movie, Love Actually. <laughs> Welcome to Love Actually. My name is Hannah. I realize I never say that. Maybe you have no idea who I am, <laughs> why I'm standing up here. Um, a couple of very special announcements. I always say they're very special, even though they're always the same. Um, if you have your phone, you can go to diff.church. That is the best way to connect with us, communicate with us, tell us what you're praying about, tell us anything, tell us how you found out about us. You can volunteer, you can donate, you can... What other stuff is on there, Jarrett? <laughs> you can, you know, you should go to diff.church and check it out. I obviously have not filled out a connection card in a while, because I've been here for a while. Um, we have the Different Church Super Chill Book Club that is going on. We are embarking on Chapter 3 this week. We're super chill because we're not meeting in person, and we're not having Zoom meetings. We're literally just reading the book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church, by Kevin Makins. And by reading, I mean you can read it, or you can listen to the audiobook, or you can have your ebook, however it feels best to you. And then we have a super chill Facebook group where Jarrett posts questions, and then we answer them in the comments. And everyone is super polite and respectful. So it's super chill. <laughs> and you don't have to answer every question if you don't want to. And finally, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, September 20th, we are going to have a panel discussion on mental health, Sunshine City Counseling, um, who is a delightful local organization. Olivia, who is the founder of Sunshine City, and another one of her team are going to come, and we're going to have a panel discussion on mental health and faith. So submit your questions. Nothing is off limits. Olivia is a counselor, and she has a seminary degree. So you can, anything you want, you can submit that on diff.church, and we will try to get your question answered that day. Now, today we get to talk about Romans. I love Romans. Um, we're only going to talk about two verses because Romans is just a lot. Like how many of you have ever read Romans all the way through? How many of you have been confused by Romans? Okay. <laughs> Me too. And I literally like this is my life. So we're only going to focus on two verses today. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So we'll read it and then we'll just jump right in. And so. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that God has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, there's so much to take out of these two verses that we could actually be here forever. Romans is, sorry, <laughs> Romans is one of the most dense books in the Bible. Like, I took a class on Romans in my undergrad degree, and one of the commentaries that was required reading was at over a thousand pages. And ugh, I didn't do all the reading. I pretended. I skimmed it. You know the part where you like read the first and last sentence of every paragraph and then you kind of get it or you read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of every chapter to get the synopsis? Yeah. Um, on top of how dense it is, the writer of Romans, Paul, is like a pretty intense personality. You can kind of get a picture of him if you read Romans specifically. 
Because you can get, like, he's dictating this book. He wasn't writing it himself. He's dictating it to a scribe who was writing it down. They didn't have, like, typewriters. So, typewriters. <laughs> what is this, like, the 80s? Um, they didn't have word processing. Uh, laptops. So he's dictating it to a scribe. And he's not just sitting there, like, reading and so, dear brothers and sisters. Like, you can tell that he, at points, is, like, pacing up and down. He gets really excited. He, like, at points in Romans, it seems like he's shouting. There are points where he's, like, very calm and collected. And then there's points where he's, like, banging on the table. You can almost tell in his words. And we have such a luxury of even talking about Romans because we have the whole book to read whenever we want. Like, we just... But you could just find it on your phone, online. And I think we don't think about that very often. Like, the early Christians were not so lucky. They, Romans was a letter, albeit a very long and confusing letter, but a letter, nonetheless, written to the tiny church of Christians in Rome, which there was probably a hundred of, max, in the whole city. So Paul writes 16 chapters to a hundred people-ish. And then he mails it. He actually gives it to someone to take. They get there. And you think, oh, yes, now everyone can study and dissect and really get to the deep theological meaning of Romans. No. Most of the Christians couldn't read or write. So they had to gather together, maybe in groups of like 20, at somebody's house and listen to it be read. Romans is pretty long. So if you listen to it, then you can only discuss what you remember. So, I mean, maybe some of you have some kind of memory that, like, you can remember every word that has ever been told to you. But probably not. These people would have heard it, like, once. Maybe they would have read it twice. There's actually a story in the New Testament about uh, a group of people gathering together to talk about faith and read their scriptures. And a kid sitting in the window, falling asleep and falling out the window and having to be healed because he, like, broke his body. He was so bored. He was so profoundly bored that he fell to his death almost out of a window because he fell asleep. So they're listening to this, and then they would have heard it maybe once or twice, and the letter would have been passed on to the next group. But that's it. Until another scribe could have painstakingly hand-wrote another copy of the letter, and then someone else could read it to them again. And not just the early church. Like, you know, the medieval church and the Catholic church, for centuries, most people couldn't read or write. That's why you have all these beautiful stained glass Paintings, paintings, you know what I mean. Stained glass works of art, works of theology is what we should call them because all of these images of saints and images of things in the Bible were to teach people what was in the text because they couldn't read it for themselves. So they could only discuss what we remembered. And we're just like, like I probably have like eight Bibles in my house. Why do I need eight Bibles? I don't even open them. I read my Bible on my phone pretty much but I like to have them, just like to hoard Bibles. And we have this ability that the early church didn't have. So it's, it's pretty significant that we can even talk about two verses for a whole Sunday. So when we see a phrase like, the behavior and customs of this world, if you've grown up in church or you've heard this before, we generally get taught that this is like reference to specific evil things. And depending on what type of faith tradition you were brought up in, this can vary. Like in my faith tradition that I grew up in, drinking, the worst. Have a beer, straight to hell for you. Like (laughs) no drinking, no dancing, unless it's in the spirit. That's different. And definitely no sex. Definitely. And 
Everything varies from tradition to tradition, though. I had a friend growing up who was part of a different church, and their big issue was no sleeveless shirts. It was not a it's totally a coincidence that I'm not wearing sleeves. But like her church was so obsessed with this issue that they banned any kind of sleeveless anything for boys and girls. That was their stand. I'm like, that's a weird hill to die on, but that was their evil. They're like, don't, the world is having sleeveless shirts. And we are not, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. So it's a huge deal to them. But maybe we can think of it instead of specific things that you can and can't do. Think of it as the behavior and custom of this world. Instead of that, think of it as the dominant worldview. So the verse could read, don't copy the dominant worldview. But instead, let God make you into a new person by transforming the way you think. Just because you are not participating in specific activities like drinking or dancing or wearing sleeveless shirts, it does not mean you're not copying the dominant worldview. The dominant worldview is all the things that just feel normal to us. Like, it's just life. As if God made it this way. It teach, the dominant worldview like, teaches us what's right and wrong, how we should be, how we should act, how others should be, what we should feel, why we should feel it, which people deserve respect, and who we ought to be afraid of. And it's the stuff that gets so deep into our minds that we don't even realize it's there. It affects everything about how we live our lives, and we barely even notice it. And it generally makes our possibilities narrow. It makes love and acceptable relationships and acceptable beliefs a lot like whatever we're used to. Now, of course, this can look different depending on where you are in the world geographically, but for us, we're in St. Pete, we're in Florida, <laughs> and there's quite a few things that shape like how we interact with everyone around us. And one of the key phrases that pops up when we think about a dominant worldview, these, you'll always hear something like this. That's just the way it is. Or, it's just not right. That just shouldn't be. Something like that. Like, examples. We have whiteness, straightness, patriarchy, gender norms. There's a lot, like I could go on, but those sentences will, will generally be found around these topics. For example, patriarchy. Like, I do think this is changing, hopefully, finally. But for how many centuries were women barred from doing, like, the most basic things, like property ownership, working, education? Women can't do that. That's just the way it is. That's just not right. They just weren't made to do that. They're just not capable of doing that. We just can't let that happen. Like... Heterosexuality is a norm, right? The only acceptable way to be in a relationship with someone is to have them be of the opposite sex than you. Any other type of relationship, it's just not right. That's the phrase that always comes up. Even something like gender roles. Like, I remember in my church growing up, there was a dude who had long hair. How benign. It's just a guy, had long hair. What is the harm in that? It was too feminine. It was a big deal. It's just not right. He shouldn't look like that. It's just the way it is. That's just not what guys look like. Of course, those same people had zero issue with girls having short hair, so I really don't understand the thought process at all. Like, at least apply it evenly. 
And it's a silly example, but this is, these are the phrases that always come up. It's just the way it is. It's just how God made it. It's just what we should do. Even when we think about race, like, my parents were very careful to not teach me the dominant worldview, and yet I still learned it, that being white was what was normal, that I could learn to expect to see people that look like me in every situation, doing everything that could be done all the time, in the media, in jobs, in school, I learned to expect people to look, to look like me all the time. I learned who was poor and what being poor was and who wasn't. I learned what communities were dangerous and what communities weren't dangerous, quote unquote. Like, I learned who was poor. We were poor. <laughs> but somehow it was different. Like, I learned what communities were dangerous. My community, my white, rural, middle of nowhere, dirt road community. Like, there were plenty of awful things happening down that road. There was sexual abuse, uh, domestic violence, alcoholism, suicide, drugs, exploitation. All of that was happening in my community. But somehow I got to view it differently because it wasn't as dangerous. It wasn't the same as a community in downtown Tampa. It just couldn't possibly be the same. And I have to give a shout out to my parents because they were very against this. Like they actively my whole life, like I would repeat something that I heard from somewhere and they would be like, no, that is not how we think. <laughs> like we don't say things like that, that's not true. Like all people are valuable and created in the image of God. And my parents had a habit of like picking up strays <laughs> is the only thing I can say, like animals and people. They would always be helping people even though they had almost nothing themselves. Like we would pick, I remember we picked up one time a, at the local gas station, which was five miles from our house. We lived pretty far from everything. And this girl was there and she got in the car with us and my parents took her somewhere and I was so confused. I was like, who is this stranger sitting in the middle of next to me? She smells like alcohol, which is not something I'm used to because, you know, drinking is the evil and you avoid that in my house. So I was like, oh my gosh, who is this person? We dropped her off wherever she went, and my mom was like, yeah, we just had to make sure she got where she was going safely. Who knows where she was going, but, or what she was doing, or how she was living her life. We just had to make sure that we were responsible for at least getting her there safely. And that was wonderful, and I so appreciate my parents for that. But they could only go so far, right? They gave me a firm foundation of questioning why things are the way they are. Why? Why does it have to be like this? Why do I have to view other people like this? Why do I have to view the culture like this? But then I had to take that further than they even wanted me to <laughs> or expected me to because it's in all of us. There will always be a point, no matter where you are, there will always be a point, no matter how woke you are, <laughs> no matter how many classes you've been to where something will make you uncomfortable and you'll instantly want to be like, nope, that's just not right. That's just the way it is. I don't know if I, that's too far. That's crossing the line. And I have to do a lot of unlearning. Like, it's taken me a lot of unlearning to get to where I am. And it's not like I'm that far. <laughs> like, I have so much further to go. And, like, look how long it took me. If you've been around for a while, you know this. The different church was started because we decided to finally say out loud that our comfort in life is not as important as someone's actual life. 
that my comfort in life is not as important as people having a safe space, a safe space to explore faith. All people, no matter what, and especially the LGBTQ plus community. It took me years to get to that point because I was pretty settled on what I thought about it in college. That was years ago. I won't tell you how many, but like years it took me to be willing to lose my job over it. And I wish I could be like, yeah, I was so great at the beginning. I just knew what I believed and God empowered me and I just always spoke up and I've always been to defended people. No, I haven't. And Paul is not pulling any punches in these verses. Paul is saying, this is going to be extremely hard and most people are gonna shy away from it. He says, give your bodies to God as a living, holy sacrifice. A sacrifice? That sounds very uncomfortable. Yup. Like that is a pretty shocking example. If you, especially if you were a Jew and you were hearing this, or even if you were a Gentile, you were a person who wasn't a Jew in the Roman church and you were like a sacrifice. Like that's what they do to the animals in the temple. They kill them and then they burn their bodies on an altar. So comforting. Paul says, I have to do that? Yes, your whole body, mind, and soul, your entire belief system, your entire way that you interact with the world, your hopes and dreams, everything in your life that makes you who you are and what you believe, you put that on the altar in front of God. The big difference is that while the sacrifices that in the Old Testament, they're put on the altar, they're meant to be burned, burned up, consumed by fire. When we, as people of faith, as Christ followers, put our lives out, it's actually all about coming alive. It's not about dying. And dying is a metaphor that we use for it. But what we are doing is actually coming alive with new life that just bursts out in all these unexpected ways once we actually commit ourselves to the process. Paul is saying, you have to refuse to let the dominant worldview squeeze you into its mold and dictate to you how you should think and what you should think and tell you how you can and can't behave and who you can and can't accept and who is in and who is out and who are those people and who is us and who should we build walls up to keep out of the church. Paul says, don't let them do that to you. Don't let you do that to yourself. Instead, be transformed. Let your minds be renewed. And the difficult thing is we actually have to set the pace. This isn't something that God just like does to you. God just doesn't come in and is like, let me just smash all of your preconceived notions out of your brain. Like we have to set the pace ourselves. We have to do the work. We have to work out in actual life what sort of people we are going to be. We have to work out why human life is supposed to be lived in one way and not another. Why are we supposed to live in grace? And how do we do it? And the whole basis for that process is not what the surrounding culture expects of us, but what God and God's impossible mercy has done for us. Like, how do we do this? In the words of Adrienne Marie Brown, in order to do this work, you have to learn to listen to things you do not want to hear and find hard to believe. 
This is all over the Bible. Scripture regularly talks of the discomfort that occurs when we don't conform to the dominant worldview. And it's literally God's offering us freedom. But it doesn't feel like it, especially at first. At first, when we're like faced with the thoughts or practices of other people who are not conforming to the dominant worldview, we can feel terrified. It can make us angry. It can make us defensive. We can get really hurt. We can get confused and overwhelmed. Like, I knew it was freedom when I finally was like, this isn't right. You not accepting entire communities of people is not right. I knew that that was freedom, but it sure did not feel like it at first. It felt painful and terrifying and overwhelming. It feels like freedom now because now I don't have to watch what I say. (laughs) Like, I'm the one with the microphone, right? Like, I can say whatever I want, and hopefully I've prayed prayerfully considered. (laughs) I'm not just going to, like, blast anyone. But I don't have to watch what I say or how I act so that I can fit into a specific place anymore. There is freedom in being able to say, this is what God has called us to. This is what we are creating as a space. But it sure didn't feel like it at first. And I've talked, I've touched on like big ticket items, right? We've got like sexuality and race and gender and, but what about this one? Not conforming to the dominant worldview in your faith community. I know a good portion of us are recovering evangelicals. I mean, I am. And even if you weren't raised in an evangelical tradition, maybe something like this happened to you. Maybe you can relate to this your belief system changed or you were faced with some new information that you were trying to wrap your mind around and suddenly the people that had accepted you your whole life were defensive and angry towards you. Suddenly people were worried about your eternal salvation and they said things like, I will pray for you. We'll pray that God will reveal his truth to you. We'll pray for your soul. Suddenly you were the one who didn't conform you found yourself on the outside. All because you said something really simple. Like, here's a few examples. What if creation didn't happen in a literal six days? Or, I'm really struggling with the concept of hell. Can we talk about that? Like, I'm really struggling with that. Don't say that. Or, I don't know if I believe in the rapture. That was a big one for me growing up. I was literally like, my church like was hardcore into the rapture. Very cool. It was a very cool thing to be into. I read all the Left Behind kids books. Not the adult ones. They were much too adult, according to my parents. <laughs> um, and I was like, eventually I was like, I don't, I don't see this. Like, where is this in Revelation? Like, I don't understand. So I read Revelation and I was like asking my mom. I was like, what? Is it in there? Because I don't. Really, no. And she was just like, oh, yeah, we don't believe that. We just don't want to make waves. (laughs) You couldn't have warned me. (laughs) I've been having a crisis. Churches have split over whether you believe in the rapture or not. Or maybe you said something like, the concept of God as solely male doesn't completely make sense to me. Can we look at the original language? Can we look at 
how the words in the Old Testament refer to God and masculine and feminine. Like, what is it? No. Anything. I'm sure I could stay up here for an hour and just list things that have gotten people in trouble in their faith communities. How many times have we just, like, stuck a toe out? Just, like, one tiny toe. Like, I have a question about this. Into these unknown, like, learning and discovery waters of, of really trying to evaluate our faith deeply. Not because we're trying to crash the establishment, but because we take our faith seriously and we want to understand and we value our scripture and we want to wrestle with it because that's part of faith. And we stick a toe out only to be immediately dragged back into the boat. And your very faith in God questioned. And of course, this is why it's in our mission statement, right? We are a community of questioners. And I have gotten some feedback from people outside that are like, that is dangerous. Really? That's what's dangerous? Having questions is what's dangerous? Not a lack of love towards people, not a lack of inclusion, not a lack of creating a space where people can actively wrestle with their faith and commune with God and learn what it means to forgive someone who, and interact with them and be friends with someone who doesn't believe the same, that they, the same way they do. Questions are what's dangerous. So we're a community of questioners, and we're dedicated to exploring faith in Jesus Christ, love for our neighbor, and inclusion for all. And we could go on and on about all the things that have been done to us, right? But here's an even harder question. How many times have we been the ones that responded in such harmful ways to other people? How many times? Because I really want to stand up here and be like, I never did that. I've never questioned someone's eternal salvation. I have. I've questioned my own. I would like to say that I've never shut down a conversation that makes me uncomfortable, but I have. It's really easy to point at other people, but every time we point at other people, it's because we don't understand the magnitude of what God has saved us from, the magnitude of the love that God has given us, the magnitude of the grace that God has given us and transformed our wrinkly old hearts. I said that last week, and I think we say it every Sunday. A wrinkly old, shriveled little, mean hearts that want to exclude people, that value safety above everything else. God has, in his amazing grace and mercy, given us an opportunity to be different. There is a difference between practicing our convictions and practicing moral superiority. There is a difference between living in accordance with what you believe and what you feel like God has taught you and what you feel like God has called you to and practicing moral superiority on someone else. And all too often, we just want to, be, we just want to have the right answer, Right? Because when our whole lives are oriented around one type of truth, or perhaps I should say one type of belief, when we're faced with something else, it can be really difficult to entertain and even more difficult to accept. 
but love asks us to lean in to the process, to actually be humble enough to listen. We, in my faith tradition, seeking the will of God was like a huge thing. You just got to seek the will of God. And I think that's very important. But what if part of seeking the will of God happens when you don't shut down conversations that you're uncomfortable with? What if entering into the will of God for the world and for our own lives involves not ever labeling someone else as an other, but by practicing openness and grace, the same grace that was offered to us, this is what Paul is saying. This is our offering. This is our sacrifice. Learning and listening and loving and moving and transforming and being transformed into a community that we were meant to be all along. Because we've been freed by God. Maybe it didn't feel like freedom at first. Maybe we've been set on a path of freedom. And we're asked to recognize that that path, no matter how hard it gets, is grace. The path is grace. Even when it hurts, it makes us really uncomfortable. Even when God puts a finger on our believies, our little, you know, just our little believies we have inside. And we don't even know how important they are to us until somebody puts their finger on it and says, I don't agree with that. Or I see things differently. Or when God says, hey, maybe reconsider. And we're like, nope. What? (gasps) That's not nice. How dare you make me uncomfortable in my faith, God? It's grace. That's what grace is. What does grace look like? Jesus dying. That hurts and is uncomfortable. Even when God asks us to do something that seems really hard, like standing up for our friends and our family, when other people are rejecting them, that's grace. Even when we have to face our own fears and we have to actually dive into our own faith and dive into the scripture and ask the hard questions and figure out how it applies to life instead of just making trite statements, it's grace. Even when we have to face our own complicity in the rejection and the harm of other people, grace. It's all grace. Grace that we participate in, a grace that we invite others into. Grace that calls us to keep transforming and being transformed. Grace is what gives us the hope and the resolve to actually make the space that maybe we wish would have existed for us. And I know I've said this before, but like there are a couple people who are here and who have come here who don't have the baggage surrounding church that a lot of us have. They're just like, oh, yeah, my questions were welcomed. Like it was never, I was never shut down. God was always like a positive. Church was always a positive in my life. And I don't understand that at all. (laughs) Like I wish I understood that. But can we, can we make that space where we don't pass on our baggage around faith and our baggage around God to other people? Where we don't pass on our fear and our anxiety and our rigidity? 
and our desire for safety and protection, but instead we pass on openness and inclusion and love and equality. Can we do that? We get to at least practice in every conversation, in every interaction. This is not like, Sunday is not church. Church is, you're the church. <laughs> this building is cool, but is not the church. Me, I'm not, I'm not the church. A conversation on Tuesday, that's church. In every interaction, in every conversation you have, always with the knowledge that we still have so much to learn that not a single person in here has arrived at perfect love. And that in order for us to keep journeying on the path to freedom, we actually need each other. All that with two verses. <laughs> the passage for today was actually meant to go all the way through verse nine. We would never make it. But I am gonna to skip to verse nine and just read one more phrase to you. And this is what I will leave you with. Romans 12, verse nine. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't just pretend. There are no people, there are zero people that we should fear or disregard or view as less because they were born outside of some false concept of normal. There are no people who fall into a category that allows us to fear, disregard, or treat as less. And all you can do is just start. If you wait until your motives and your heart and your mind all completely pure and wonderful and no doubts, to start, you might as well just not start. Like, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> Grace transforms you as you move through it. And I love the song we did earlier about dancing. It's a dance. You're gonna stomp on some toes. I have. But it's okay, because we're in community together and Grace is leading us together. And we can create the space that we wanted to exist for ourselves and couldn't find. So we have two more songs, and especially this first one, this was not planned at all, but it's so perfect. I'm gonna call it like a Jesus moment. It's so perfect. I just invite you to stand as we sing and just reflect if you wanna like sway or sing or put your hands up, depending on what tradition you came from. Like I'm one of these people, but you don't have to be one of those people. You can be one of these people. <laughs> just to reflect on where God has brought you. And then we'll pray together. <laughs>